It's a truth universally acknowledged that there ain't no combo like a CMO combo because a CMO combo is packed with insights from marketing leaders. And the insights packing this combo are straight from Seth Temko, CMO of restaurant technology company Partech. And we're talking about the importance of creating a unified experience for your customers through marketing. And if anyone knows the importance of satisfying customers, it's the restaurant and hospitality biz. No matter your industry, the question we're tackling will be relevant to you. How do you identify your customers' needs? How can you meet them consistently? And what does the future of unified marketing experiences for customers look like? Stay tuned to find out. Hi, Seth. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Will. Well, thank you for joining us. And it's going to be a very, very interesting conversation because we're talking about marketing the unified experience, which is a very interesting term that I'm looking forward to exploring in a, a little bit more detail in a bit. But before we do dive into that, Seth, can maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself, tell us a bit about Partech, and tell us a bit about why we're talking about this subject today. Sure, of course. Thank you so much. Um, I'm the CMO of Par Technology. Par Technology is um, primarily a restaurant technology company. It's been around for over 40 years. Uh, Par Technology actually invented the restaurant point of sale system, which at the point we would call that a smart register today. And it, it actually wasn't the core of the business, it was founded as a government services business. And there just happened to be uh, some family members of founders that owned three McDonald's. And this was back in the day where people would manually figure out how much you owed. And the owner of those locations is like, this is crazy. They don't know how to do math. They get it wrong. They don't collect the right money. They give away too much change. Help, help, help. And literally on a weekend, they created the first prototype, which was push buttons with a, a pre-programmed representation of the menu. And then they created a hardened steel case durable for restaurant environments. And all these franchisees from McDonald's were picking it up. And then McDonald's corporate said, hey, what's this thing we heard about? And McDonald's adopted it. And then McDonald's went huge international and pretty short order. Par Technology became a public company. That was sort of the origin. So that's the, the hardware story. Flash forward today. And uh, as a public company, we disclose we'll, we'll do over $100 million of SaaS revenue. And we're quickly evolving um, what we offer. And not just, uh, we've done a series of acquisitions. So we purchased a, a Brink point of sale, which is enterprise point of sale technologies. And we have many big brands using that. We purchased a company called Restaurant Magic for the product Data Central. And that's um, COGS, labor, scheduling, the operations side of the business. Uh, a couple of years ago, we acquired the leading restaurant loyalty company called Punch. And then recently, just a month ago, we acquired uh, just a, a great technology company out of Europe called Menu. That's digital ordering, dispatch, third-party entities in, where you intake the orders inject them in the POS, get get the kitchen working on the food, and then get it into the customer's hands. So what we're working on now is how do we take all these different technologies, which standalone are all really good and beneficial. And, and we have uh, the biggest players in franchising for restaurants involved and our customers with that. But how do we create a more customer-centric experience? And when I say customer, I'm talking about our operators, and then they help us define what is best for their customers, for the diners. And sometimes there's confusion in the space. Like uh, if you're a big franchise system, you, you own your brand. Your brand is vital and important to your business. It's not our role as a technology company to tell you what is best for your diners, for your brand. It is our job to, to listen very closely and provide guidance, feedback, and, and be responsive to the experience that they want to create. <clears throat> so if we look at it from a in a nutshell, unified experience is like, how do we take all the various touch points? Uh, because a brand lives in people's minds. A, a brand is a bank of experience. And we do credits and debits all the time as businesses. And it's not just our products, but how we service, how we bill, how we invoice, how we contract, how we support, how we innovate, how we communicate, how we educate. 
Um, and that's that's our direct touch points. And then, of course, we have indirect touch points in the industry, which is a reputation, which is that dark social, that NPS in the background, that trade show sidebar conversation <laughs> that people have, those comments on social. It's all part of that brand building and exercise. And I would say, you know, as a CMO and for other CMOs, like you, you can't lose sight of the customer and uh, another thing that I've really been advocating for a lot of pars to say marketing is not the keeper of the the brand. We're we're just a shepherd. We we keep keep our eyes on the entire flock of touch points, but every employee in the business is the keeper of the brand. If they have direct customer interaction or indirect customer interaction, if they don't think about the customer first, then we tend to be led astray, so to speak, using the flock analogy. For sure, for sure. I mean, people have this idea of the brand being just like the logo or like the brand yeah. messaging or the marketing that you're putting out, but it goes right down to the, the micro details of how a company operates, like what kind of emails you're sending out, what how you're phrasing those emails, that tone of voice, how you're speaking to customers on the phone, how you're speaking to customers face-to-face as well. That's all part of the brand as well. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up, Seth, for sure. Um, so let's let's get a bit of context first and foremost about like what are your customers looking for right now? What are you hearing from your customers? And, like, and then we can talk about how you're responding to that. Yeah, so it depends on whom. So we have different personas or different roles in that we work with depending on the different technologies. So certainly with our loyalty platforms, which is like rewards and points and we power, uh, by the end of the year, we'll be powering 50 of the top 100 US franchise brands with our loyalty programs. We literally have 200 million US citizens who are in one of our white label, uh, wow. you know, private labeled loyalty um programs that our platform supports and promotes. And, and then we have a CRM and email system. So it's rewards is one thing, but then how do you promote? How how do you um, keep your brand? I call it on the short list of consideration when someone's hungry. Um, I if, if I, if I oversimplify what restaurant technology should be doing and what I think in general, and, and granted, there's a lot of variation between our customers um, in, in what is important, what are issues and pain points, where they are in their, say, experience maturity curve. Um, and, and sometimes, honestly, like I think of the meme on social where you see the kitten looking in the mirror and they see a lion. Um, <laughs> we have, we have, I won't name the customers, but we have customers like that as well, right? That at the end of the day, um, maybe they think they're at a point that, from our perspective, we go, but you you could be doing so much more or better or different with that. And for CMOs, uh, it is a big challenge of, uh, you know, and not to harp on COVID or look back at COVID, but COVID is a big inflection point for our industry. So I've been involved with hospitality technology for, gosh, 20 years. So I go all the way back to one Web 1.0 days. and that was like, I need a website. It needs to be nice. It needs, oh, there's new browsers I need to operate. And that was some of the big CMO quandary at the day. Like, what do I take from in-store promotions and now somehow make digital? Today, I think it's all about CMOs have a, a much larger role in the restaurant industry about digital, in-store, they're all experience. And those experiences are um, transferable and to relatable the customers today in a restaurant, they, they want to interact with a brand the way they want to under their certain circumstances. And it can change from day to day. So it used to be in the past, you'd say, I have this persona and I track it to the in-store purchase and then to the drive-through. Well, now you have maybe a parent that picks up the kids from a sports practice and their needs at that time are distinctly different than it's Friday night, everyone's on the couch and they want to relax. So how do you provide consistency of a positive experience? Obviously the steps to go through to get the food. So um, I, I pose the question, how do you turn hungry to happy? 
That's a very simple phrase, but that's a really big and complex equation today. And COVID was a big accelerator in the different ways that people can order or the different ways that interact. So when I think back to restaurant tech 20 years ago, and I, I was involved with a lot of startups and fundraising, there was relatively few venture capitalists that wanted to invest in restaurant tech. There, there were so many more larger and exciting industries. Flash forward today and in the U.S., you know, roughly a third of every global restaurant dollar is spent in the United States. Now, these are numbers from pre-COVID. I'm sure it dipped and then it rose and we went that. But but roughly, it's a, it's a huge number. It's a trillion-dollar industry. And probably as far back as seven, eight years ago, I'd start tracking investment trends and food technology, restaurant technology was just this massive amount of billions of dollars pouring in compounded every year. And we saw the the rise of third party delivery and delivery of every sort and digital ordering of different ways and different notions. And certainly the trend was increasing in the industry, but traditionally the restaurant uh, industry is considered a laggard in technology adoption, probably along with retail. A lot of times industry analysts will compare retail and restaurant trends similarly. Of course, I'm biased because I'm in the industry. I think they're distinctly different. I can't take a burger and keep it on a shelf for 30 days and then sell that or provide that to someone. I, I think there's some some big differentiations with it. But um, there was definitely an adoption. Um, typically, those that had more money would spend more. Typical of the hospitality industry in general, though, when times are good, they don't invest. And when their back is against the wall, they invest a lot of money. And I've seen that just seen that in 9-11. I've seen that in the Great Recession. I've seen that now with COVID. So COVID had a a, a massive need. Holy cow, this concept of a restaurant is a kitchen and the ability to directly interact through a thin membrane, either a drive-through window or a counter to order and get my food and then choose to sit down or choose to leave was turned upside down. So it was a big scramble to say, what do we do how how is this experience shift and and it has a cascade impact so that's the customer interface but at the same time you had labor disruption um kitchens only have so much capacity once again a huge differentiation between retail and a restaurant a restaurant is a just in time real time order manufacturing process to get something hot and delicious in, into someone's hands, you hope. And if that process gets too extended, then you stock out and you lose money. If you don't have the employees, your capacity to manufacture gets reduced. Um, so it causes a lot of uh, issues. Um, so with that adoption, now you think about there's direct channels, there's indirect channels, and then there are the mega tech companies that are trying to figure out the ways that they connect in there as well. And That's been a larger challenge. Amazon restaurants was tried and then shuttered after about a six, seven year period. Google now has some direct hooks into ordering and it can be through their maps application as sort of their first foray into that. So all these environments are changing, like the number of considerations or ways that someone can order significantly different. And so that's the loyalty side. Like then I need to get them coming back. If I have a third party, I may not even know who that person is. So, so ironically, they're back to stapling paper on a bag <laughs> to try to get them to sign up for a loyalty or promotion to, to sort of divert that relationship that was between the third party and the, and the, and the diner to shift back to the diner and the restaurant. So Absolutely. In the restaurant industry, marketers, operators, the finance um, people in charge of finance, the CEOs, everyone is like, how do I maintain direct relationship? Huge, huge challenge and very important. And then how do I get them coming back? How do I get them to try new things or increase that average order ticket size? Big challenges. How do I deal with labor shortage on a consistent and persistent basis? In, in QSR, quick service restaurant, because uh, no one in the industry likes to hear fast food, so <laughs> it's QSR, but it's in QSR, it's in fast casual, it's in um, casual table side dining. 
uh, labor is still a, a massive and critical issue. So you can turn on all these new channels of ordering, but at the end of the day, if the kitchen fails, the restaurant fails. And it doesn't matter what new digital technologies we come out with, that, that is a challenge that exists. And then in the meantime, you have like Mr. Beast, a huge influencer, and uh, um, goes and opens virtual kitchens. And in, a, in, in this COVID period, which was strategically a great time to do that, people were bored and at home and seeking all different ways to entertain. And so he created a relationship between his brand. And I haven't tried the Mr. Beast Burger, but it's got to be pretty good because they've done very well. And then literally, um, they've just opened their first physical location. So you can say, oh, see, so you can do completely virtual, but the reality is there is a place for a balance of everything. And so uh, they just did an opening a week ago, 10,000 people at opening and, wow. uh, and uh, the, the Brink POS system that we provide provided through Earl Enterprises, who's the reseller. We, we have our equipment in there and we know they did phenomenal business on their opening day and pretty consistently. And I look at this and I go, wow, how can you be a, a restaurant operator? How do you deal with all of this? How's, how's this so challenging? And I think the thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to show that um, we can make decision-making simplification as amplification. So if you can reduce the number of vendors, now, of course, we hope that it's, it's all our technologies and our technology stack. We're trying to be complete and yet completely open because we know in enterprise, uh, there's just certain technologies your business has become dependent on or it's highly integrated into back office systems or financial systems. Uh, maybe maybe you're a public company and you're like, we have this compliance and reporting and there's things that may need to be done in a certain way. And you could be a CIO and, and we work with tons of CIOs and strategically and you go, wow, if I change or move that system, I'd have 40 people in accounting storming my office to you know, <laughs> string me up. And these, these are all real considerations. But if you can reduce your vendors, um, you reduce your costs, you reduce your complexities. And I think that's across all marketing, right? Um, and then how do you take digital and connect it to the in-store experiences? And we saw, once again, Thanks to COVID, QR codes make a big resurgence. I mean, QR code technology has been around a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, technology. I, I remember like the the early OOs, they were everywhere, like the early noughties. And then they, they kind of just disappeared for a while. And then suddenly yeah. COVID, they were back in a big way. So maybe that's that's one you, you said the restaurant technology been laggards usually, but they've basically rebirthed an entire form of technology, an you know, entire like marketing channel for people. Like I'd say that's on the back of the restaurant industry. Sure. sure. Culver's is a big client of ours. And you go into a Culver's and you sit down and then they have the QR code on the back of the booth. It's like, hey, just sit down and scan this and place your order and we bring it to the table. So this idea of a defined um, experience is just decentralizing. At the same time, it is really difficult if your solution is I'm going to I'm going to move quick and speed is ultra important to adopt a new technology, you know, try to think of finding a vendor, going through a selection process, contracting, getting that connected into your in-store systems, and then you have something for the booth experience, for the kiosk experience, for the counter experience for the drive-through experience, through the social order experience, through the third-party order experience, through the website order experience, through the loyalty app experience, right? And we go on and on and it seems like it doesn't end. So I think one thing is just the vision of the brand, the focus around the customer, what is your core? Don't lose sight of the core. If technology becomes a distraction from delivery of hungry to happy, stop rethink, reorganize. Maybe it's not as important as you think. Um, I, like for me, the, so much is going on right now about metaverse. And to me, it's just a cycle of things. You, you're in an industry long enough and you see 
old topics become new topics and there's a refresh in that. And certainly virtualization has been this concept that's been around a long time. And I'm very skeptical of the metaverse because at the end of the day, you can't, a digital burger provides <laughs> no satisfaction to you physically, right? You might be like, oh, it was kind of fun. I, I made my own burger. I did a virtual experience. And I look at that and I go, yeah, but that, I mean, that's been an Oculus game for a while. And before it was an Oculus game, it was a PC game and it was a, a tablet app. And, you know, okay, how much enjoyment or, or you know, does it come from it? Also, you know, now you're into these mixed experiential things and is music and basically creating some sort of video game in your core, in your brand? Is it something that truly you want to focus on? I just wax me skeptical. <laughs> I, I think meta has a place, certain industries. I think, I think it's a, a big opportunity and interesting restaurant. I'm far more skeptical. And I know brands are making tests and doing these kinds of things, but you know, I'll see a headline like, a particular brand will create a meta experience and they'll go 7 million people interacted with it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm back to web 1.0 where my <laughs> website got a million views, you know, or uh, Amazon just hit a million orders. And, and so the scale is so small, it's so nascent, it's so new. And um, the idea though, is will they come back? Will they continue to interact? Can you connect the threads between meta to the thing that you actually provide that charges charges money for and and you generate revenue sure sure and i think one of the things with the restaurant industry in particular in terms of having these unified experiences is at the end of the day the choice that you make with the, the, the to eat somewhere and this probably ties into brands outside the restaurant industry it's a very irrational choice that you make you're making it based on the food you like and how much you like the food at the end of the day so it's about how do you provide how do you provide a connection between a brand and a customer that maintains that relationship despite it being an irrational choice? And I think that's the important thing to think about when it comes to sort of this unified experience. Like, like there's certain things about going to a restaurant that you might not expect to be a reason why they like going to that restaurant. They might go, like going to the restaurant because they like the cutlery or they like the decor, they like the music that's on there. It might not even be to do with the food at the end of the day because you might be able to get a burger just down the street. So having that this unified experience around going to a restaurant and having that provided through technology has got to be a very powerful tool um, to sort of cut through that irrationality when it comes to making those decisions. I, th I think there's two, two branches if you think about it. So one is your existing customers. Mm -hmm. So they have an expectation of that experience. So one of the first things you can do to negative drawback on your brand is to disappoint. You're out of a particular food item. Um, there's, it, it's just, I, I think customers will forgive a dirty bathroom when you're, when you're uh, busy, maybe they'll forgive, you know, in case of table service, a steak that wasn't, you know, was medium rare or not medium and they'll correct it. Um, I think most customers, they don't forgive rude service or poor service. Um, and, and I'm generalizing, but if, if we look in more fast, casual or table side, like those kinds of things are important. I think in QSR, the whole idea of QSR and scalability is consistency of expectation being met. So a Big, a big Mac on the East Coast US is the same as a Big Mac on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And it's the same experience you'll get in Mexico City. And, and, and of course, now we're into global variations with some of those items, um, depending on the regions that you're at. But that idea of consistency, quality, um, decades ago, when McDonald's opened in Russia, when the Soviet Union collapsed, they had to create their own bun manufacturing facility because they couldn't get the quality expectations um, sourced locally as well as availability. And so they had to fill the gap in some of the supply chain system. And I think that's just bread and butter and table stakes. Like, are you meeting the expectations that your customers currently have? And then the question is, how do you elevate that? How do you make it a better experience? And, and I think we'd be hubristic if we said, 
oh, well, that's consistently the same thing. And we have to be very conscious and thoughtful. And, and I'm, a, I'm big into agile and testing before you say, hey, scale anything in a marketing program, or <clears throat> I would say even in operations where, sure, you can try different menu items and that, but you know, you have music, is your music annoying to people or is it acceptable or should you take your music away? Is there something different that's better or you add music and you, you do certain kinds. I remember Starbucks for a while, I thought they were going to become a music label. (laughs) It seemed like everything in Starbucks was about selling CDs and featuring artists. And then they kind of pulled back a bit from that. And I, I think they got back to the core uh, and that's when the founder came back and see it as a CEO. And they said, uh, let's get back to, you know, beverages. And then they expanded to light dining fair and eating fair, which just skyrocketed revenue um, for them. I, and it was such a no brainer considering the size and the footprint of their operations to do that. I, I think technology, though, has a place and can help with all all things. And we're talking about the customer experience, but if we talk about unified experience and we think of it as bookends, and, and this is how I discuss it internally in the company, um, unified experience are bookends. And then in the middle is almost like a scroll wheel and software. And by the default is customer. And then you have to zero in what aspect of the customer experience are you trying to unify and make better? It could be a unified data experience. In the case of us serving restaurants, our customers are restaurants, our direct customers aren't diners. We could say, well, do you want to talk about a unified employee experience, a unified operator experience, a unified diner experience? And then from there, you double click into the areas of need and where they can innovate and provide um, better service overall. And it all works together. You know, if your employees are frustrated and uh, you're understaffed, chances are your customers are going to feel that impact. Your operators, your financials are going to suffer because of that. Um, so there's two parts. There's hungry to happy. That's the diner. But I look at passion to success. That's really the operators and the brands. And um, we need as a restaurant technology company to be looking at, at both those aspects. But once again, it's at the place of our customer, the brands, where are they at? What do they need? What and and I look at it as almost like a strategic chessboard. There's certain things that they'll they'll come to us <clears throat> as a multi-product, um, highly capable technology company, and they have an assumption or they say, My pain is, hey, doctor, my elbow hurts. And you know, and the joke is, well, you know, stop moving your arm. <laughs> you can't do that. But when you start looking at it, you go, holy cow, you have other issues. Like you're, you're walking sideways and only using your right arm because your left arm is literally tied to the side of your hip because of systems or technologies or um, call it limiters of the past that now you're dragging their anchors, you know? Um, And I think technology is like that when it's new and it serves this purpose, it's a sale. And you're like, Hey, this is, bringing our brand and our operations forward, but technology is moving so quickly and the latest technologies always have advantage over prior technologies because they get to leverage the latest, the newest, the best. So um, a leading technology can become from a sale to an anchor. And you can do a refresh where an older technology is now serving you better, but they all the technologies are starting to have to work together and more in different ways. And once again, that's getting to you have multiple, you have multiple vendors, then you have all of this complexity. And so just think of it as simple math. I have seven different products I'm using from seven different vendors. I have seven times seven, 49 possible points of failure, 49 different. And then if I say, oh, it could be a cascade failure, then we go beyond 49. That's just one-to-one ratios looking at everything. And so when you simplify, you definitely get uh, less risk. So you're de-risking. Typically, you're getting better contracts. Usually, you have fewer points of failure. Usually, it puts a burden of reconciliation and resolution to a few vendors, which is just typically you get resolution faster. 
And then as you're looking to, that's just to maintain. Now, as you're looking to innovate, you also have fewer vendors to talk to, to work with, to um, connect to, or to expand or extend what you're doing. Uh, usually you can move faster. Usually it's more cost-effective. And everything that we talk about is really scale. So uh, I, I've worked with SMB and SMB restaurants, and uh, I've been a CMO of a, a restaurant tech company just focused on that. And the conversations and challenges you have are usually unification is guaranteed because they just don't have the um, capability to handle complex. So you'll you'll have a singular platform. And in that case, what you're doing is you're saying, I will accept your software as my new best practices. Oh my gosh, how many times do we see that? How many times do we see that in marketing tech? <laughs> how many times, uh, I mean, the CRM companies, they sell that, oh, we have we have all the best practices of vertical X, Y, and Z in our software platform, you just have to adapt to it. Well, if your technology is forcing you to do sneaker net, spreadsheet net between systems, if it means that um, every time you hire someone, you have to walk through three different disconnected systems work together, you're introducing this oversized complexity, um, oversized challenges, and you're forcing your business to adapt to the technology as opposed to having your technology adapt to your business. And we're really working at um, our technology to, to change that, that equation and to say the technology is going to work for your business. And we're going to show you a clear path about it's sort of like you choose the journey book, you know, um, some different ways you can do a journey and then you can start looking to the future and then you can start looking to innovate. I think everyone pretty much is looking to innovate. I think pretty much everyone is cautious about where or how they will enter um, innovate if their business is of a certain size. And I, I suppose as well, like this sort of attitude of being very dictatorial with like best practices when it comes to tech, tech, tech solutions. It's kind of forcing people into a pigeonhole when it comes to the type of staff you're hiring or the, the training that you need to provide for your employees as well. Like if you've got all these different tech solutions, you're going to have to train up everyone to be using all these different things and be able to recognize all the different things that can go wrong with all these different systems. Whereas having one unified system means you only need to train them, train your staff up in one system and you need to recognize the errors and the problems that can go wrong with one system, and which will save a lot of time and money in the long run in that respect, I suppose. Absolutely. So we're looking at, once again, hungry to happy. So this whole experience, how do you elevate it? How do you diversify? How do you, you move people from that first visit to repeat and looking at lifetime value? Super critical, very important. How do you handle all these different aspects of need. In other words, how do you how do you be the brand that serves the customer regardless of circumstance? Kids in vehicle, no kids, older, younger, tech savvy, not tech savvy. It's it's a big challenge. And then you have that passion to success. How do you turn all that energy into drive into a business that's not just satisfying the customer, but you're retaining employees which is a huge challenge just across the hospitality industry. And I'm, I'm not even talking about in restaurant staff, just I have background in hotels, casinos, resorts, um, large multi-property REITs, uh, hospitality in general, you're, you're not going to be paid uh, the highest in scale for a like kind job. Um, typically most brands suffer with relatively high management turnover um, maybe or maybe not, they've worked with the technology or piece of the technology that you have. Um, the restaurant industry has learned all the way back to the Great Recession how to do more with less. But then, of course, like, are they doing it well? Are they doing it, it meaning resolving issues and challenges well? Are they doing that quickly? Or is everybody just learning to live with more pain in their their shoes, right? Like, wow, these shoes are kind of worn out and they're tight and we could use a new pair of shoes, but CapEx says we need to wait another five years. And uh, we see a lot of that through the industry. Um, 
But I think customer preferences and the competitive nature of restaurant and hospitality starts putting change moments in place. And then I think brands are realizing that technology truly is part of the brand strategy and should be part of the brand strategy and can also give operational benefits and other benefits that you know should lift the whole company. It I don't think today there's many marketing uh, departments where you can't look at operational efficiency and impact. If you're just like, I'm going to drive revenue, especially because a uh, restaurant industry is so tight on profit margin. Um, and so you're looking for repetition and then scale, like you have to look at operational impact. It's really interesting for um, just menus, like menu hacking is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> With customers. Go on, explain a bit more about that, Seth. That's not a term I've heard before. Yeah, so so there, right now there's a bit of a, a thing going on with uh, social channels about Chipotle. And and I I hope that this airs like late, like they've they've plugged this hole because I certainly don't want, want to multiply this. But, you know, <laughs> let's say a burrito is $8, but you can get three tacos for $3.00. But they figured out that digitally you can add free extras to get basically the equivalent uh, volume calorie count and somewhat it's not the same experience as a burrito, but you get like, you know, close to it for three dollars and then they share that. And, and that that's a menu hack. Uh, and then basically think of it as everyone exploits the fact that this exists through digital channels to do this. And of course. The brand never had the intention for that to happen. And you kind of have to handle that a little subtly because it's pretty easy to turn 10,000, 50,000 people sharing this into, man, they were rude and this is wrong. And, you know, on social, the brand usually is to blame regardless, <laughs> regardless of <laughs> circumstances. And that that will come up frequently um, with other brands. So that's just one example. But menu hacking is a thing just like coupon hoarding for, for grocery and coupon doubling and all that is a thing where literally someone has a shopping shopping carts full of food and it all gets totaled up and they get all their couponing and doubling and then they pay $10, you know, somehow magically at the end of it. Um, so that has a place. Now, a smart brand may turn that into almost like an Easter egg or something that they do purposefully or know about drop hints and then, but they, they have a scaling limit and then, or, or it's become part of the strategy. Um, and then you tap into that enthusiasm for looking for a secret bargain and other brands have, you know, tapped into um, secret menu items, not on a menu. Yeah. You, you, they have it. If you ask for it, you know, if you ask for it, they grunt in the back and, you know, there's brands that do all that make it playful, make it part of the brand. So do you think that's maybe an angle for virtualization in the restaurant tech industry, like that kind of gamification of looking for deals and stuff like that? It could be. It, it depends. It, there's a lot of ramifications on on deals and deal making. Certainly, restaurants are not uh, strangers to loss leaders mm -hmm. to get people in the door. I think the challenge at scale, especially for QSR, is if millions of people do that as a loss leader at scale, what is the impact? And I think that gets down to franchising systems. So franchising systems, and I, and I co-founded a franchise system, not in food, but in youth recreational sports. Um, you have to look at it as say that the franchise holder has a percentage of gross revenues. Mm -hmm. And depending on your profitability and whatever that franchise operation is, they, they could be the equivalent of an equal partner to the people who are running that restaurant. Um, but there's a, a key differentiation, which is if you own the restaurant, then you're based on your profits, but the brand gets the top line revenue. And that has caused for different um, franchise systems, uh, periodic conflict and controversy over what is good as a promotion may uh, from some, not all operators, like I don't want to get in trouble with this and I could name names, but if you go and you search certain key brands, I mean, it's out there where 
operators are saying, hey, to provide a sandwich at this price for 20 years is has impossibly not calculated inflation. And right now, this year, inflation is like the big ugly beast in pretty much every um, customer facing industry where you're providing goods and services right now. And, and that's legitimate. So you can do these promotions, get people in the door and all that. But a lot of times like um, marketers in restaurant industry commonly will use coupons or that. And it's a relatively easy measurement. You count the coupons and you go, see how successful our marketing campaign was. We got, you know, 50,000 redemptions of this special offer. But knowing the margins are so tight on that on that offer, it's like there was a cost to that. So, you know, if you have a burger discounted on profitability, if they don't get a large size combo, you just lost money. And so what could be a success for the franchise may not be a success in the eyes of the franchisee. And um, there's a lot of uh, balancing of that. How, how technology companies can help is giving a unified data view. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, that's where you take your technologies and unify them. You get one plus one can equal something more to that. So it can inform um, decisions. It can give uh, real-time data. You can choose to extend or early terminate a particular program if you haven't made promises to the customer around it. It could give you insights into um, aspects of menu people didn't realize. I know uh, really quant and um, statistical experts that can go into a menu, examine regions, and they can say, hey, you can charge 12 cents more for a medium combo, and it will do no impact to loss of customer. And because you have X thousands of stores, it'll generate a million dollars. And 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 some might say, well, is that fair to the customer? And the answer is you're always looking for equilibrium. If a business cannot be profitable, the business at some point cannot serve the customer. And I think I think sometimes when people talk about you know the consumer rights and what's good for the consumer, it has to be good for everybody. That's what a free economy is about. That's what free market systems are about. And competition means that typically certain brands don't get away with something that that maybe others would say is just wrong or imbalanced. And certainly there's so much competition in restaurant. It's it, there's really no one that I would say would have the absolute and upper hand, whether that be in independent restaurants or that, whether that be in restaurant franchise groups. And I suppose that's why it's so important to build up that that brand loyalty through this, like the unified experience that you're providing to restaurant customers. Like, if they're if they're really loyal to a brand, they'll accept certain changes that they might be marginally unhappy with, like say, like the cost of their favorite item on the menu going up by a dollar or something like that. Like they might be willing to let that slide if it's a brand they're really loyal to. But if it's a brand they don't have that sense of loyalty to, if they see that burger's gone up in price, they'll go to a different burger chain where it's cheaper, surely. So that's why it's important to have these unified experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And um, technology, there's a psychology to buying, of course. uh, And I've done a fair amount of research into it. And you can segment and say, why are people buying? And then focus on your most profitable customers. If you serve your most profitable customers first, uh, it's much easier to then say, how do we extend this to other customers as well? Uh, as well? How do we get advantage with it? And certain technologies, when you remove a person, people order more. So as an example, um, average ticket size for a kiosk is typically at least 15% higher than if someone orders at a counter. And it has to do with dessert, as an example, <laughs> or portion size, you know, like, here's this skinny teenager looking at you, you know, do you want to supersize that? And you as a person, not necessarily the perfect physical specimen go, no, but to a kiosk when prompted, you may click yes, because it's only X more and you go, I'm going to get that value. Or are you going to add a dessert? And there is a psychology behind it. There's similar characteristics for online I think the interesting thing with online ordering is I have seen um, brands 
you know, you can see social posts. You know, you really should watch TikTok and TikTok. I, I think a lot of marketers are like, oh, it's not really B2B in that. Like, no, there's whole communities around industries being formed. And if you look at hashtags on restaurants, like, I don't know, over a billion hashtags for a restaurant in a week, something like that. Like it's becoming a big deal and people will capture it. But I ordered an $8 item. I got a $6 delivery charge. I got a $1.95 convenience fee and they charged me $2.50 extra charge for small volume order. And I think during COVID, people were kind of like, oh, I'll support the restaurant. I'll do that. I think now people are taking a much more critical look. And um, once again, that becomes a, a complex mix between profitability, experience, expectations, et cetera. One thing we're, we're going to be launching for next year is this idea of order throttling. So the kitchen only has so much capacity and that's if you're fully staffed. So we, we've helped some brands like Tropical Smoothie really understand staffing levels and critical needs so that they're staffed. They're not overstaffed. They're not understaffed. It's like Goldilocks. They get it just right. That means they can actually serve more smoothies per hour, which is that's really a metric they go by. What's the average smoothies per hour? And that feeds all their, their operational metrics and um, their financial results at the end of the day. But what happens when, you know, you can do 100 smoothies an hour? Actually, they can't do that much. But let's say 100, 100 orders an hour in a, rest, in, a, in a burger restaurant. And now you have three people who aren't there. They haven't showed up or you just don't have shift scheduling. You can't do 100 orders. You, you literally can't. You have something less. But yet channels of ordering typically are blind to the capacity and the prior orders within the kitchen. And we're working really hard to resolve that so that not only do you have a view and data can inform the customers, but you can also dictate which channels are the priority of the business. Different channels have different levels of profitability and they have different ticket and order size. So I think there was a scramble to just say, hey, we gotta be able to order through an app and a website and the drive-through and third party and uh, Google ordering something and who knows what it, you know, the kiosk, the, the, the pickup, I, it just goes on and on and on. But what happens when it's six o'clock on a Friday night and everybody wants pizza? Boom, you're just flooded with orders. They all come in, the kitchen is overwhelmed, your employees are stressed out and your customers, you have unhappy fans is how I like to phrase that. Like. Mm -hmm. They, they ordered from you because they have a relationship and they're, they, they want to turn hungry to happy. And basically you, you have these very extended time periods by which they'll get it, which most technologies are struggling with setting expectations. So what we're looking to do is shift that. Like if it was Friday night and you're going out with, you know, someone and you're going to a table service restaurant with no reservations your expectation is, and I walk in and I get seated at prime time. You have one simple question. How long is the wait? Mm -hmm. And they tell you a time and you say, okay, or nah, let's go somewhere else. And we're working to make that fully capable in restaurant technology that based on the channel, a channel may be closed and inaccessible because it's a non-profitable third-party channel as an example and channels that are more profitable or you want to emphasize, you give prioritization. But for everybody, you start setting an expectation of how long is the wait. Then the next step is to, to really have that refined where, where the kitchen is at in volume and capacity informs that. And also that as the order is working through process, you have notification or awareness to the customer. So you can reset expectations, maybe a surprise and delight. Hey, good news. Your food is going to be available 10 minutes early or informed, you know, it's, we're really busy. It's going to take a little bit longer than we expected, you know, eight, eight more minutes, please kind of thing. And I think that 
that is um, an amazing capability to do something at scale affordably in a digital format that maybe you only would have gotten in person in a table service restaurant. Yeah, and I think I think those that kind of managing expectations can be used in a really effective way to get people engaged with the experience of actually dining, even if you're dining outside of a restaurant, if you if you bought it in. You can get that sort of connection with the brand throughout the buying process by having that kind of like that tracking in place. Like I know lots of people, myself included, when they order a pizza, they will sit there and watch the tracker and wait for the food to be get ready. Yeah. So finding a way to keep you engaged with the brand through that process is a way that technology can only do. Like you, it's all well and good having like, like say you're in a, a restaurant having a server coming over and saying, oh, your food will be five minutes and stuff. It's not the same as sitting there and watching like, a counter tick round or something there's something very very engaging that humans enjoy almost that anticipation building as they see like a number tick up or tick down that kind of thing I, you know i i look at it to say i think it's human nature that you like to feel in control yes yeah generally right that's that's why for uh airline travel oh my goodness people get so stressed out and i think <laughs> a big part of it is it's this hurry up and wait and and people are like, well, what if the security line is long? What if, what if what if they flag me? What if they have to search my bag? What if the plane's delayed? And, um, you know, I have the gray hair. I remember back to 9-11 and I, I just learned to relax. I'm just like the one thing I learned is, um, you know, what I don't have control of, you, you know, try to stay informed, but you have to let go. It's just it's the nature of things. And, and certainly, you know, the customer in that scenario, they're you can't have a view. It's almost like you have a view into the kitchen, right? But it's your personal view. Like, uh, and and that would be really interesting as an experiment to put a a, can, a kitchen camera in certain restaurants. And then you could see like, you know, how busy they are, you know, your prep area. And, you know, given the way AI is going with video and that, for all we know, your burger being flipped could be a red square Hey, there's your burger being made. Here it is going to the prep area. I mean, that's all in the area of potentiality. Now, does that have real real value, turning hungry to happy? I, I don't know, but would it be novel? Would it be like something that people would be interested in, want to know? Maybe. And uh, AI is this huge open door to what can be done with video and audio and and everything for not just restaurants, but all sorts of industries. Well, it, it kind of, you've kind of hit the nail on the head on what I wanted to talk about next, Seth. And that was like, what is the future of these unified marketing experiences? Like, what what can we expect from the horizon that we need to start preparing for now? Like, what what kind of yeah. foundations need to be in place to like hit the ground running with these new technologies? I think the first thing is just set expectations that um, restaurants are a, a a tangible thing. There is a tangible product. Sure, you could have a fun game. You could have children's toys in a pack. You can, uh, if you're Starbucks, you, you get into a music foray. I mean, it becomes part of the overall experience. But if you didn't have food, if you didn't have beverage, you wouldn't be a restaurant. I mean, that that is the core of it. And there are just fundamental things because of the way that business operates that you can't lose sight of. So Par Technology invented the first restaurant POS decades ago. And I talked to Paul Rubin. Paul Rubin was the founder of Brink, and he is our chief strategy officer. And, um, you know, we just have a conversation about how the fundamentals are there. The technology format, whether it's uh, a device on a counter or um, data in a cloud, but there's an item, a menu item, there are modifiers to it, there is a price to it when you place it in a cart and you want to purchase it, there's taxes that get applied, you have a total, you have some form of payment, that order is now considered payment complete, I don't consider the order complete until the customer has food in hand, but now, now that data goes to the kitchen and the kitchen needs to prepare that food. And then there's a question of how does it get into the customer hands? Like ultimately that has not changed. And the fundamental uh, a layer of technology needs to address that. It, does, it doesn't matter what the final state of the technology direction is going to. And the reason I bring that up is because that fundamental technology is now a question of, well, how does it get 
unified? How does it get ported from what is the um, system of truth? Where is the data truth lie? So I have this debate um, with other uh, restaurant technology nerds like myself. And I'm saying, why do we even have a fixed price menu anymore? Why? Why why couldn't the menu that you see as a digital experience be particular to you or particular to me? Now, now I'm going to talk about big data and this becomes somewhat controversial. But if I have a certain income level and you could determine that by zip code, you could determine that by Google knows I have an Android phone. Google knows a lot more about me that probably if I saw the data that Google had, I would, I would, I would have tears in my eyes going, Oh my gosh, how did they get that? Right. But, but the idea is that if you do a data informed decision, then why couldn't you tailor a menu? Like, okay. You know, um, we talk about freedom a lot in the U.S. and oh, we like free and we like freedom. And if you say freedom is choice, is choice, well, you can have too much choice. It can be overwhelming. So you know, a simple thing is if you have my loyalty um, ID and you know my past orders, why don't you offer those items first? And oh, by the way, instead of just a pre-programmed reward system. Maybe I'm less concerned about getting a free something and I would just like to cut the line every once in a while. I want the Disney fast pass experience. Mm -hmm. Like how about when I order a pizza every 10th time I get to jump the, the 30 minute wait and I'm in queue, you know, with those who have already waited as an example, as a reward or a different kind of experience. And also getting back to demographics or what about ability to pay? So you know, there are, I, there are certainly whole segments of your customers and different prioritization. And there are, we talked about value and those hacking value. And I want to eat the most calories for the least amount of money. And then there are those who they have different priorities. And we've seen a shift in eating healthy. Typically, if you eat healthy, you pay more and people have been willing to pay more. And we've also seen a shift where I was just doing a warning about how much in surcharges for online ordering and delivery may be. But then there's the converse. Like if it's super convenient, um, I may be willing to pay more and I may be in a position to pay more. So if restaurants can use data to differentiate the experience based on people's backgrounds, preferences, and uh, their, their desires, why not seek to do that? Can you do that? And I would argue that if you do that, you're probably going to see an average ticket size go up. You'll probably see frequency of repeat purchases increase and your total lifetime value will go up. And the restaurant industry overall, generally, and not all brands, but I would I'd venture to say most brands struggle with even really understanding lifetime value of customer. And if you start thinking in the very long term and you stop thinking of month to month and quarter by quarter, and that's hard, especially if you're a public company, then your vision of the technologies and what you want them to do can be very different. So that's definitely data and using data to inform decision-making analysis of profitability, but customer experience is a big part of it. And I think another area that just really all customer facing technologies uh, need to explore more is how do you use voice analysis for innovation? How do you use video analysis for innovation? So I'll give you an example. Um, Drive-throughs for QSR drive-through is the majority of revenue generation at the physical location. Um, In-store dining has just consistently decreased. Drive-through has increased for decades. And you have to think about drive-through is not just I order at a window, I pick up at a window, but I may order on an app and pick up at a window um, and, and tons of variations between them. Once again, COVID accelerated all the thoughts of the possible paths that link hungry to happy, right, to do that. And in that, though, 
you combine it with a labor shortage and you say, can, can software, can I use phone and call and can software take my order? And I would say if it is the commodity of taking an order, human interaction does not, it can, but does not usually add value. And I'll use Chick-fil-A as, as a, a differentiator. Chick-fil-A is like the opposite for most QSR brands where most QSR brands are struggling with profitability, lifetime value, um, consistency of customer uh, interaction, um, and have high employee turnover rates. Chick-fil-A is typically the opposite. And uh, part of it is cultural. So it's not technology in that conversation, but it's cultural. And I would say that Chick-fil-A has done an exceptional job of having higher employee satisfaction and a much higher level of courteousness. It doesn't mean they don't get the order wrong or you get the wrong things in a bag, but oh, if they make a mistake, they make it up to you and and they're hyper apologetic. And that's not necessarily always the case. But in the case that that human interaction is not adding value, then you want speed of completion. And uh, we see that we do uh, credit card payments and speed of processing is really one of the, the number one criteria that any of our customers have. Now we're looking to extend that to Apple Pay, Apple Pay with loyalty in one tap. Apple Pay with loyalty that pops up the, and this is where you can have the uh, person taking the order have a value add. Hey, Will, um, you, would you like to apply a 10% discount because you qualify on the loyalty? Hey, I can make that cookie free for you right now. Would you like that? And click, you do that. And that's all in one one tap of the phone to a device. Wow. And those kind of experiences will continue to accelerate. And that's a great area of experiential value, speed of service, and you can sign people up with loyalty in the same the same thing. So we're doing a partnership with Apple to really be one of the innovators in that kind of space as an example. But getting back to order taking, can software listen to a voice on the phone? Okay, at high probability, 95% or higher, yes. Can they do it as a speaker in a drive-through? And the answer is yes. And why you would not engage with those technologies, I I I would be, you may have limiters, you may say there's challenges around it, but it's an area where everyone should look at. Um, looking at drive-through as well, how do you create a drive-through as well? Drive-throughs are all about speed of service. Mm -hmm. And so the more vehicles you can get through your drive-through in a given day, the higher your revenues, the more your profitability. And we have a product called uh, Techno that we had acquired earlier this year. And we have a couple ways that we track the speed of service. We do gamification between local stores. Hey, the Irving location isn't going to fail to the Addison location, right? Come on team, we can beat them. That stuff actually works. That's human psychology, but um, also gives you insights in the business. But typically what you're doing is you're um, making big holes in the pavement and you'd put pressure sensors. Well, then you can do a different variation in contact. There's AI companies using video where literally you just put up cameras around a building and you are aware of drive-through and drive-through times. You're also aware of cheating. How do you cheat with that? Well, can you please pull forward and wait on the side? Well, you're past all the sensors and system is complete. But the reality is that once again, in my opinion, the order is not complete because food is not in hand, right? So those are the little cheats or things. Sometimes it's legitimate because literally your drive-through is not built for that capacity. Um, but also at drive-through now, they're so critical. They you they, people take a tablet and they wade through the line, and so you're you're trying to line bust in that case. And cameras need to be aware of all of this, including people pull up and drive away. And then you can see that the queue and the drive-through is too long. Now, now you have an understanding of pattern and traffic and use. And can you do app with a pickup? You're doing a third party order. And you know, the newer restaurants, just like I had said, the latest technologies have the innovator advantage on platform. 
those who are building um, the new concepts of restaurant look very different than existing buildings built just five or 10 years ago. So Taco Bell is introducing, think of it as a kitchen on stilts with four lanes underneath and the equivalent of a, um, a bank tube that will lower wow. platters of food. Now this is, this is concept they're moving to test. I don't think I ever would have predicted anything like that. It's basically a kitchen on stilts with a little tiny pickup area. And, and this is the area that's going. And I've seen, we've seen um, other brands like Portillo's Hot Dogs, which is a Chicago regional place, excellent fare, just went public. And they've been testing kitchens with four drive-through lanes. So, you know, the big innovation was one drive-through lane to two. Uh, Chipotle has done pickup only lanes from app. But now we're looking at two order and pickup and then two lanes for just pickup. And they're doing dedicated lanes or windows for just third party delivery now. Very different. So the I would call the parking lot is the hot area of innovation for a lot of QSR restaurants to date. How will you manage that? How do you how do you look at? Well, I think. AI and video is one area that can provide a lot of operational knowledge and awareness and uh, allow for metrics for improvement and great hungry to happy service. Excellent. I'm, I'm very excited to see these developments in the future that they sound exciting and very different in terms of like what we've been used to in restaurants. Um, but at the end of the day, it does sound like it's all about keeping the customer centric, keeping their experience consistent and keeping it unified as we said at the top of the episode set so thank you very Absolutely. much for revealing those insights because i look forward to seeing them um and thank you very much for joining me today Seth. it's been really interesting really really interesting really illuminating about um all these different aspects that go into the restaurant tech industry and the demands that they're under at the moment and i think there's a lot as i said to you before we were doing this episode there's a lot i think is applicable to other industries as well in terms of customer centricity in terms of using technology not just for the sake of using technology, making it sure it has purpose with how you're utilizing it. Um, so yeah, I think our audience is going to be absolutely thrilled to have had you on the show, Seth, and I'm sure to thank you right now as much as I'm thanking you. Um, I'm going to thank my audience for joining us as well today. Um, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.